the Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Uh, so thank you, Oliver. Thanks for being here, man. I, re- I really appreciate it, and I really enjoyed your documentary. I, like you, well, not as much as you, but I am a, a conspiracy freak when it comes to the JFK assassination. And uh, I, I've i been fascinated by it for decades, And uh, but no one is, I don't think anybody is as fascinated by it. As you and <laughs> well, I get the impression that you have the impression I'm a full timer, but no, no, not a full timer. I have a career. <laughs> well, I know you yeah. do. Listen, I'm a f- huge fan of yours, but it's kind of fascinating that your your film, the JFK film, was approximately 30 years after the assassination. Yeah, and then this is approximately 30 years after that. Yeah. We're still going through this, yes. and they're still withholding documents. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing, isn't it? No, it's not. It's you know everybody's dead from this from that era, but it's all the more important that we understand our history because it's it's fading. But the reason we're in this kind of disbalanced situation in the United States, where we have no less and less trust, is because of the past. And if we go to this particular incident in '63, it's a it's a demarcation point. It's a turning point for the country, and I, that's what's fascinating to me because I have a historical interest. I've written and made the untold history of the United States. And yes. I'm very interested in history, and I just think we have to pay attention because the roots of our problem are here. And do you want me to talk about that, or do you want me sure, to Sure, yeah, on? please. I, you know, I don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I have to generalize, because from the time he was killed in 63, that November, we think about it. Not one American president, not one, and you can name them all, have ever challenged the military or the national security state, or the intelligence agencies, not one. They haven't been successful. They, they've cut the budgets occasionally, but not by much, but essentially they keep going up. The Defense Department has record year this year, 700 and some $60 billion. Who says, who says you can't to the military or to the intelligence agencies? They seem to have an inordinate amount of power. Kennedy was the last one who was trying to curb it, and he meant a serious effort towards peace. He was the last president to talk about peace very nobly. And people have said, oh, he just talks. But no, he was doing things. And we can talk about that too. Yeah. That's why it's important. It's crucially important. This country has gone the wrong way since the national security state has gotten bigger, stronger, more money, more paranoid, less trust in every which way. The cynical amongst us would say that that's inevitable, that whenever you have these situations of power, especially when you have you know, what people like to call the deep state, but what's essentially this group of people that never leave office. And they have in- incredible amounts of power, the the people that are in the intelligence agencies, the people that are in the Pentagon, the people that are in all of these positions of immense power, but they don't get elected in and out. They don't have four-year terms. Yeah. And that these are the people that the president, when a new yeah. newly elected president has to check in with and it's a very dangerous uh, situation because it's a frozen bureaucracy. Yeah. And they die off, but they, 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 they're replaced by insiders. And, and as a result, we are the, we're, the, we're the biggest bully on the block around the world, no question. We have the most power militarily, supposedly, and nuclear in every which way. Yeah. We tell other countries, we intervene. We often tell our allies what to do or we make them do it. We, have, we declare ourselves to have enemies. And we, we keep insisting on it. 
talk about uh, China, we talk about Russia, Iran, Korea, North Vietnam. I mean, <laughs> North. North Korea. Uh, excuse me, uh, Cuba. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, North Korea, Cuba, and don't forget Venezuela. Right. It's a major, it's considered a major threat. Although these threats are inflated, over infl- overinflated, and we should we can talk about each one of these individually. But I, that's what I've done. You know, in my spare time in documentaries. <laughs> I've done Ukraine. I've done Russia with Putin, and I'm very interested in w- what we call enemies. And I keep seeing this this overinflation of it. Because why? Think about Orwell. Remember the old the George Orwell in 1984? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the state exists to fight a perpetual war or prepare for war. That's what we've been doing since 1945, 6. After World War II, we didn't stop World War II. We stopped moving into World War III. We said that our allies in World War II, the Russians, were a great threat to our country, although they were depleted. Their energy was depleted. Their money, they were broke, broke, broke. We had promised them money. We cut off the payment. The moment Roosevelt died, Truman cut off the aid payment that we were sending to them, some $10 billion. And since that time, uh, we just keep, we, we pushed the Cold War. And I, we, have to, we can discuss the whole Cold War if you want. But it was really, yeah. think about life before 1945. Think about we were in a war with Hitler, right? It was a war that was forced upon us. We went in the very late. In the night, think about the 1930s and the 20s. The Roosevelt, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was recognized the Soviet Union. He was one of the first. He was the first. He he was had a vision for post World War II, which is beautiful. You have to understand that it was a, a vision of a world dominated by the great powers. It would be the United States, uh, in Britain, uh, China, and the and, U, and USSR at that time. Uh, that was the four powers he envisaged that would control. And he believed in the United Nations. He was, it's a shame he didn't see his vision come true. He died in April of 45. Truman took over and it was a different, the moment Truman took over with his group, the Soviets were seen as the enemy right away. Right away. There was no going back on it. Um, speaking of this this uh, idea that the United States is the biggest bully, have you seen this video that was recently released from China where a Chinese representative is talking about Julian Assange? And uh, the, the Chinese representative is uh, saying that the United States has no moral high ground to stand on when they talk about what is going on in other countries, particularly in China, when with what they're doing to prosecute and to force Julian Assange to be extradited to the United States and the way they're going after him for what's essentially just being a journalist and exposing what many people believe is war crimes. Yes. And that, that speaks to what you're saying is that like we have rules for the rest of the world Yes. and we don't follow them ourselves. That's correct. Yeah. We, uh, the Assange case is a, is a very typical of what happens at the, when the, the state becomes scared of its position. It gets... It, it, uh, it's, it, its dissidents become enemies of the yeah. state. And the same thing has happened to some degree in China, yes. And they are paranoid about it. And you could say, you, but the, to draw an equation between our power and their power is wrong. Because, you know, a bully, he goes around, he scares the neighborhood, right? He, he, it works for a certain period of time, but he's a hated individual. There's fear because he's there, right? Yeah, I've seen your movie. I've seen your, uh, you know, you talk about martial arts. You think about it as a movie, 
the guy's always kicking ass in the neighborhood and until the new hero comes along and, right. and deals with it. And he Generally, he wins. The new hero wins. But the, the, the new hero wins by not enforcing that kind of fear on the rest of the people. Hmm. You've got to have modification of behavior. That's what's nothing wrong with our power. I think the United States has power to defend itself, no question. But we have to modify our behavior to behave in a humane way with people and recognize people's differences. But that seems to be less the case as we become more disciplined, more ironed about how we have to, how they people have to behave. We tell them, in your country, you can't do this, you can't do that. Now, some countries are different. They have different customs, different cultures. They don't have to agree with the way we run business. We call it democracy, although a lot of people question the democracy inside this country. I mean, we, you know what the elections are like here. It's become very suspect, elections yeah. itself. And the money behind the elections, I mean, it takes a fortune to get elected. You go to Washington, I mean, I think it's hard to get an audience with a congressman. I do think you have to pay money in order to get the, the ear of a congressman. Uh, so it's, you know, our democracy is not functioning in the way it was meant to function. And uh, other countries, and we want other countries to restore their democracies, but their democracies, it works better in Europe to a certain degree because they don't have long election periods. They have short election periods controlled, and the money is is very hard, is well controlled. They don't allow private the private sector to take over the elections as we did here in this country with the United Nations, with the United uh, Supreme Court's decision allowing uh, corporations to exist as individuals. Yeah, that was a tremendous mistake. And if you go back and look at where this country took a bad turn, I would agree with you that it seems like it was during this time period where JFK was assassinated, that JFK had these ideas um, getting rid of the CIA, he wanted to uh, pull us out of Vietnam. He only wanted to send. I mean, you, you talk about this really in detail in your documentary, the the new documentary that's available right now on Showtime. Yes, and uh, JFK revisit. Yes, which is it's so thorough. How long did it take you to make that? A year and a half. Uh, it's on Showtime now. It's a limited. They have a ninety day hold on it. End of February, it becomes available widely mm. and we will get it out widely in the United States but it's available in foreign countries it's in about 15 foreign countries uh, but still the United States is listen we're lucky to have gotten a showtime to do this because they're a good company they've given me a platform in the past with my Putin documentary as well as my untold history of the United States. But yeah, this, kudos to them, because uh, it, it's a controversial subject. It's a very complex subject, and for you to be able to cover it in such incredible detail the way you did, from the beginning, you could tell from your documentary, you, you can tell from the beginning there was a concerted effort to, um, to pin the blame on Lee Harvey Oswald and to without a doubt, remove any evidence to the contrary. Yes. The, the, yeah. You're jumping around. So, I mean, the I was going to just finish the Kennedy, oh, yeah, please. The, the Kennedy thing. You know, remember that he he resisted war. Yes. And people get this confused because they say, oh, you went into Vietnam. But no, you have to look at the whole thing, the way it was. He, put, he avoided war twice in Cuba. And this is very important to remember. The Bay of Pigs was a setup. You know, the CIA controlled that operation. They went in. They expected, they knew that operation would not work unless the United States came in militarily to back up that invasion 
of Cuban exiles. They expected it because Eisenhower would have done it in the past. That was, mm-hmm. They got used to it in the 1950s that the United States went back to CIA. Kennedy made it very clear that he would not put U.S. combat troops into, Viet- into, into Cuba. Made that clear. Or give it air support unless, unless they were established a beachhead. He was willing to, to meet them halfway. He was saying, okay, we'll go if, if you succeed. But it didn't succeed. It was fucked from the beginning because Castro knew it was coming. He, was, he knew about this seven days, eight days before, maybe more. And they were, they were stranded on the beach. As a result, that, started the, that was a few days after he became president in April, right? right? So he had very little experience, but he was shocked at what happened. And he took full responsibility for the debacle. He said, I'm the responsible officer of government, which is a very good thing to do. He established a hierarchy, but he really wasn't in charge, and he knew it. He told de Gaulle, and he also told other people, I'm not sure I'm in charge of this government because they have a secret branch, the CIA, that does what it does. The military definitely is not controllable. All the chiefs of staff were wildly against him, including Curtis LeMay, the Air Force chief. They, they saw him as an inexperienced young man, although he had been in war and he'd actually been heroic, had a heroic uh, situation there where he really earned his, he, earned, he was in the Navy, PT boat, and he saved, saved a lot of men during that horrible experience that he had in the South Pacific. But aside from that, he wasn't scared of the generals because he'd been in war. I guess that was what I'm mm. trying to say. And yeah. the second thing he did was a year later, and this is crucial, people don't quite get it, is that when the the missile crisis happened in October of 62. This was a key moment for Kennedy. This is what signed his death warrant, I believe. He didn't go in. He didn't invade. Everybody in the Pentagon, including Eisenhower, including his senior civilians uh, experienced and said, go into Cuba, take them out, because the Russians had put nuclear missiles into Cuba. Okay, mm-hmm. and this was against all America. You couldn't do this ninety miles from American shores. It was against all violated the concept of America as a sovereign country. It was no question that he had to go, in, and he didn't. This is very important to understand. If he had done it, we've now found out that the Soviets, yeah, they had not only they had a lot of troops there. They had a hundred thousand troops, roughly. It would have been. It would have led to one. One. It would have built up into a nuclear a nuclear explosion out of Cuba, somewhere else, somewhere else in the, in the ocean, the, the, the blockade, ships would have blown up one thing after another. Khrushchev, the Russians, would have reacted. That We would have reacted. Over, and then step by step, we would have been into possibly an Armageddon with Russia, although we had way, way far more nuclear weapons than Russia did. That's what the reason the Pentagon wanted the war then. They wanted to wipe out the Soviet Union. This is very much in the back of their minds. So they wanted to do it the same way we had done to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes. It was beyond that, too. I mean, way beyond that. I'm saying this. It's important to realize their thinking. It was a, their thinking was that now we're in, we, we have a tremendous uh, advantage. In a few years, we won't. The, the Soviets are going to build up. And they did in the 1970s. They got practically to parity. That's what Reagan was talking about, you know. He said, we have to take on the Soviet Union, the same thing. But in the 1962 period, it was possible in their minds to win. First strike, blow them up. We take a limited amount of casualties, wow. 20, 30 million people. Do you remember Dr. Strangelo? Yes, I was just going to talk the same about kind that. of thinking. Yeah. That yeah. We, and Kubrick got it right. That was their thinking. We can win now, wipe them out, get rid of this threat. 
And just lose a couple of Communism cities. will be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Although there was China, of course, in the background. But they were willing to take out China, too. They had plans for that. On that, When it got to its worst point in that crisis, in those 13 days, they had plans for China off of Okinawa. Wow. It was going to be a, a real conflagration. And they would have won that war, so to speak. I mean, hopefully a male and a female would survive it. <laughs> but Hopefully that's a male thinking. and a female. And that's what Kennedy was up against, him yeah. and his brother, Robert. It's a tremendous story, and it's been told to some degree, but I don't think people understand the passion of what was happening in that moment. And I think he saved him and Khrushchev, because Khrushchev was very much on his side in that regard. Khrushchev was also had seen a lot of war, of course, in Stalin, at uh, Stalingrad. So those two and, and, uh, the, and Robert and various people around them saved, saved this situation, pulled it out at the last second, basically. It was very close to going over, and... That was, the, uh, that was the end. The, the military never trusted them again. They said, this guy is weak. He's a weak sister. Uh, and they said, this is going to end. Uh, this is, he's going to, he's emasculated us. This was the whole idea. And what led in the, in the following months of this, all this planning around him was to basically uh, end his reign because he was definitely on the road of changing the American way of peace. He wanted peace more than war. And he talked about it. And of course, there's a huge complex out there, what Eisenhower talked about, that would have been out of business. I mean, he really wanted to cut back on the concept of going to war. You have to understand that. He pulled out of... So if he doesn't go to war twice in Cuba, think about this. Why would he go to war in Vietnam? And he said this, it's 6,000 miles away. Why, if you're not going to defend... defend the United States against Cuba, would you go to war in Vietnam? To defend what? To defend the United States from Vietnam? This was a thinking. They couldn't, they didn't understand that. I have to say also, he didn't go to war in Laos, which Eisenhower advised him to before that. So he avoided war. It's, it's amazing that Eisenhower was the one that was doing this when Eisenhower is the one who had that speech. You know, at the end of his, yes. Yeah. It's a great speech. I love it. But you want some coffee? No, no, just water. Uh, okay. But that speech is what everyone points to as being the moment in time where the military-industrial complex is recognized. But the fact that Eisenhower wanted him to go into Cuba, Eisenhower wanted him to go into Laos, that the yes. Eisenhower wanted war. Yes. Well, Even, he didn't want war. Why? He but thought he that thought could, it was the right thing to do. He thought it was the right thing to do because we could pressure the Soviets down. That's what he felt. And uh, that's what John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, the CIA chief, also felt that very strongly that we have to push the Soviets hard to make them back down. And that was not the right reading of the Soviets. The Soviets were paranoid beyond belief about us. They, mm. Their hardliners are the ones who threw out Khrushchev a year later. Mm. He got thrown out of office too. So say hardliners in the United States, hardliners in Russia, are the people who got rid of Khrushchev and Kennedy. That was their payback for, for being peace warriors. So did this... Uh, the great speech, by the way, was Kennedy's speech yes. in 1963 in June, the peace speech. That's the most important speech he ever gave. Which one is that? He called for peace. I'm talking about a concept of peace where everyone, our children, our mortality, the very air we breathe, we have in common with the Soviet Union, which took so many casualties in World War II. You should reread that speech. Yeah, I, I, well, I put it into the documentary, a piece of it. When you look back at when the military-industrial complex started to take hold, is this a function of what was built up during World War II? Uh, because, yeah. Yeah. yeah? Yes. It, it, well, after World War II, the United States had 
had employed all these men, millions of men, and they came back to this country, there was this tremendous fear of another depression starting again. Mm. And, and Vandenberg, the Senate Majority Leader, told Truman, he said, you've got to scare the American people into reacting. That's the only way you're going to get money to, 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 keep, to keep this military going. It's going to demobilize, which it did to some degree, but we have to keep spending, we have to keep building weapons of war to prepare for, I suppose they all thought the Russians were coming. What was the reaction at the time to Eisenhower's speech? When Eisenhower had that speech about warning about the military-industrial complex? I think think it was regarded with, with, uh, like, this is a nice old man. He's on his way out. Yeah. And, you know, he's wishing, I think, personally, I think Eisenhower had guilt for his guilt. He knew, he had the biggest buildup of nuclear missiles, nuclear weapons in that time period. I think we went up to 25,000 nuclear weapons from 2,000, 3,000. It was a tremendous buildup, and it continued into Kennedy's time because of the budget, the way it worked. Kennedy was shocked when he came into office. He was rel- relatively, he was had to be a realist to get elected. He wanted, he, talk, he talked a harder line than Nixon, yes. That's what people get this confused. In 1960 election, he was calling for, he's saying there was a missile gap between us and the Russians, which was pure bullshit. Mm. He based that on with, in, uh, faulty information. The truth was, the moment he got into office, he sent a Secretary of Defense McNamara over to the, to the Pentagon to check this out. A few weeks later, McNamara came back with the information that no, we're way ahead of the, of the Soviets mm. in our missile c- capacity. That was never true. So, in other words, Kennedy ran on a platform of being a cold warrior. He had to be. He couldn't be elected in 1960 against Richard Nixon. Just because of the climate of the country at the time. The climate of the country. And that's the way it was. And that's why 1962 happened, I believe. I think the people were different than the the people in Washington. I think the people had different feelings. They were scared. There was a lot of nuclear fallout stuff. There was talk of nuclear war, strange love. On the Beach, don't forget, was a very important movie. It went around the world. People were scared of, of nuclear war. So there was a desire for peace, and I think the people expressed it in their love for Kennedy because he was starting to change. The polls all showed that. However, he did have a very tough election coming up in 64 with Barry Goldwater on the, from the conservative side growing in power. Goldwater was a significant speaker, a threat, and very much a hardliner. Kennedy was very precarious position when, for example, he didn't want any, to go any further with Vietnam. He put advisors in. He put advisors into Vietnam when he came in. Yes, because Eisenhower had started the policy of helping Vietnam. We cannot lose Vietnam, the domino theory. We'll lose Asia, all that stuff. Kennedy didn't quite see it that way because he'd been to Vietnam in 1950s as a young senator with his, with his brother, actually. And he had talked to some seasoned diplomats out there who were more of his thinking than, than the Pentagon thinking. And they had told him that this Viet- the French are, f- are screwed in Vietnam. They're never going to get out of this mess, and they didn't. It was a war like the war we had years later where they were undone by the guerrilla and the desire for independence and the guerrilla forces they were fighting. It's such, I mean, I'm listening to you lay this out, and it, it, it just occurring to me, and what an immense task it is to get into office not knowing all this information, That's right. not having real access to what the actual data is. You That's get right. into office, and then... You have to deal with a multitude of world-changing events and world-changing positions and 
and you're dealing with it all as you're catching up. I know. It's amazing. It's a crazy job. Berlin. Don't yeah. Forget, Berlin was right. Don't forget right Berlin. Away. He's got to, and then don't forget the the ongoing threat of uh, Cuba. Because Cuba, the, the Vietnam. Cuba, yeah. Uh, Dulles had launched the the, uh, the the CIA chief Alan Dulles not had launched the uh, Cuban expedition against. Had de- they decided to do on Bay of Pigs before he came into office, and on top of it, don't forget also, he comes into office. He didn't even know that they had. We'd been participated in the, in the Patrice Lumumba coup in the in the Congo. Mm. Now Kennedy was very interested in Africa, and it's, people don't know all this story, but he really got involved heavily with Dag Hammarskjöld, who was a UN president, in 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 uh, in in Africa. When Lumumba was killed because of our machinations over there, we wanted to get rid of him. We had a plan to get rid of him. Whether we were the ones who pulled the trigger, no, I'm not sure, because the South Africans and the and other people were involved. Belgians were involved. But still, he was killed. No one told him for three weeks. Mm. Then he got the call from the CIA, and they told him that he, he was shocked. And his face, we have a photograph of him in the film when he hears about Lumumba's uh, death. So all these problems come on his plate, right? It's a very difficult situation for him. That's why I'm saying he, was, had, to be, he had to be very careful in running for re-election. Mm. He knew the problems. As a very seasoned politician, he'd been around for a few years, and he didn't want to sound like a, uh, 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 what do you call it, a peacenik? No, but definitely that was out of the, he had to keep saying things like, we are going to help the Vietnamese, South Vietnamese. But in truth was that he had no desire to help them if they were losing. And he made that very clear, and that's in the film too, because we found a declassified file from the SecDef uh, meeting of, a- of uh, April or May of 63, right before, the, right before his death. And in that meeting, McNamara, who represents him, says, we got to speed up this withdrawal of troops. Speed up this withdrawal of troops. And at that point, he knew, McNamara knew they were losing in the South Vietnamese. He knew it. So what I'm saying is that Kennedy and McNamara together were willing to pull out of Vietnam, win or lose, and that's a, he couldn't say that publicly, right? Because of the re-election. Yeah, he pe- the National Security Action Memorandum two six three calls for the withdrawal of the first thousand troops, serious withdrawal. But there was an appendix where all troops out by sixty five. But he didn't put that in writing, and uh, this we know about now. But we didn't know about it then. I got a lot of flack when I made my movie in ninety one, the original. From about mm-hmm. he says it's about withdrawing from Vietnam. Kennedy never intended to withdraw from Vietnam. That's bullshit. It's clear as bell because McNamara not only wrote it up after, uh, after my movie came out, he wrote a book called, I forgot the name of it. He said the same thing. He said Kennedy was pulling out. So did McGeorge Bundy, his national security advisor. Excuse me, I got to pee. You made me drink water. Uh, oh, you got to pee already? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Go can ahead. I, can sure. I get a second? Oh, jeez. <laughs> we'll be I'm right back with Oliver Stone. How aware was Kennedy that he was in danger? Was he at all aware? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, in fact, he had that Irish sense of tragedy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they always, he uh, he went to Ireland before he died, and he he kind of knew it. You know, he, he, you think he knew that they were going to try to assassinate was, him? I, oh, he knew about that because there were several attempts already. Were there other attempts? Oh yeah, I didn't know we about talk, in the documentary. That's right. We, we go into Chicago. <laughs> that's right. And Tampa. No, can you just give us a brief uh, outline of those? Okay, there's a lot of information there. Yeah. In Chicago, early November of 63, uh, a landlady complained about four Cubans with 
arms in mm. an apartment that she that, that they rented briefly, and uh, two of them were busted. Two of them disappeared, and the two that were busted were interrogated and let go, which is strange. Yeah. There was also a patsy that was similar to Oswald, same profile as Oswald. He'd been a Marine. He'd been in Japan at an air base. He'd, he had uh, expressed his dissatisfaction. Another air base, not the same one, not at Sugi. And he, he expressed his dissatisfaction with the United States. He defected to Russia. Now, this program, this defector program to Russia, seems to have been institutionalized by the CIA. And they sent a certain number of people there to get information about Russia. Now, why, do you ask? I always wondered that question. Because back in the 50s, they didn't have land-based information, very good land-based information. They had to get it from sending people there because they, they, right. could, they could watch the, the uh, USSR from U-2s, which is what they did. And, Satellite photography, but uh, the guy that was uh, Valley was his name. Uh, he uh, he was also stopped, but he disappears. Don't ask me what happened. Mm. His details. The point is that Kennedy was aware. Kennedy, yes, he was, but he didn't really get the whole picture. So it brings in the story of this black black Secret Service guy who who was became his friend. His name was Abraham Bolden, who he himself had appointed. He looked around on his inauguration. He said, "In his inauguration day in 1961, he said, how come there's no black agents here protecting me?' It's a very interesting mm. question. Bolden became his his choice to go in, and of course, he ended up in trouble <laughs> because uh, he he is the one who pointed out the details of how badly handled the Secret Service did the did the infor- used the information." And uh, he was busted on false, fake charges. Went to jail. It's a whole story. That's another story. Another, this murder, this murder has so many mysteries. I mean, Sherlock Holmes would love it. Yeah, you, you can. You need a microscope to get into this, and you have to go into all the details because it goes in so many directions. There was a, t- a plot in Tampa where he was same same setup, a motorcade, go past a tall building where you have to make a, a sharp turn, and in that building. Uh, they went crazy. They, they searched the whole building, but there'd been a tip-off. Couldn't find anything. And uh, Kennedy uh, went ahead with the Tampa trip. He canceled the Chicago trip. He went ahead with the Tampa trip. But the same kind of profile. The guy was a Cuban who was going to take the fall. And a, there, he was a member of the, the, uh, the uh, DRE, the student, Students against, uh, against Castro. There was a lot of anti-Castro... Um, anti-Castro protest in Cuba, New Orleans, everywhere, Texas, all the South, wherever the Cubans were. And they were, a lot of it was anti-Kennedy because he had been, twice he had not gone in on Cuba, so they felt like he'd betrayed them. Right. There was a seething hatred for him. How, how much of a, a shock was it for him when uh, he got a hold of the Operation Northwoods papers, when he found out that no, the joint chiefs? Yeah, that's another, he laughed. I mean, he thought that was a horrible idea. <laughs> Well, it's, it's so crazy to read. Well, it's not so crazy, but when you think about it, it's the surrealistic. That's the way they operate. Once right. they put something in writing like that, it becomes more and more feasible. Well, also, you know, when I talk to people about conspiracies um, and I bring up Operation Northwoods, I say, you know, no one went to jail for that. Do you understand that those people, the Joint Chiefs of Staff that signed that, like they, they stayed in office. And if you understand how anything works, things evolve. If this yeah. is how government was run in the 1960s, you can bet your ass 
that there's some sort of similar but more complex version of it in play in 2022. Well, if, obviously, if people who are talking about 2001 would point to Northwoods as a, as a, as a father, the grandfather of this operation, because mm. it required, among other things, plan to invade Cuba. That was the whole idea. Right. We need another justification. To Could you to please Cuba. lay out Operation Northwoods so people don't know yeah, what it was? It was a series of papers that came out because of the Assassination Records Review Board, the result of my film. They found so much. I mean, but basically that operation called for an invasion of Cuba through prov- provocation, like things like having Cubans killed uh, in the air, domestic airliner blow up and going down over, over Guantanamo Bay yelling, oh, we're under fire, we're under fire, and, and people would die, you know, and it blamed on Cuba. Everything would be blamed on Cuba. There'd be blo- uh, opera- sabotage operations in the United States that would be blamed on Cuba. Um, that kind of thing. And it was all done to get people enthusiastic about going to war with Cuba. This was a whole, This is very important. This is crucial to understand. That's, uh, th- this is very crucial because I do believe that was the motivation for the assassination. The Cuba thing was really the thing that set them off. Forget about Berlin. Forget about the detente with Russia. Forget about the nuclear peace, peace treaty, uh, nuclear uh, uh, atmospheric treaty that Kennedy signed with Khrushchev. That was a big treaty. Forget all these things. Forget Vietnam. Twice he'd failed in Cuba. This created a tremendous wave of expectation from Cubans who hated him. So it's, this is where the CIA and Cuban kind of intersect. They use the Cubans very well because there's a handler in Florida called George Joannides gets involved with them. Very interesting character. We'll come back to him if you want. Uh, the Cubans are used uh, used everywhere on the map in Texas, Florida, New Orleans. Oswald is soaked in them. He's, as a, he, he comes back to the United States. It's a crazy story. He's soaked with them. He's like, you know, Soaked in them. I mean, becomes a member of uh, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which is, by the way, started by the CIA. It's not really a legitimate organization. He becomes a member of that. And he, the CIA started both sides. They started the, the, the student movement against, uh, for, for, against Castro, and they started the uh, Fair Play for Cuba. Both sides of the equation. That's typical of what they do. <laughs> Uh, can I go back one second? Because it's, sure. it's a complex situation, and people have a field day with going after JFK here because JFK had nothing to do with the assassination planning on Castro. How do we know this? There's an uh, in, Inspector General report. Inspector General of the CIA did a report back in 66, 67 for uh, Helms was asked. He was Richard Helms was the head of the CIA, LBJ. There had been this whole scandal thing. Jack Anderson was a very famous columnist. He raised these issues and said that had said that the uh, CIA was involved with uh, with uh, Cuban groups to assassinate Castro using mob figures. Okay, mm-hmm. and this whole thing started to stir up in the in the sixties after after Kennedy had been killed. We started to hear about it. Of course, the Warren Commission wouldn't allow anything like that to come out because Alan Dulles was on the commission. They never heard a word about any of this stuff. It started to come out. Johnson, who was president at that point, wanted to have a full report. And he asked, he made Helms, Richard Helms, give it to him. Helms is a character that is slimy. It goes way back. But, well, that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. You need to be Sherlock Holmes here. 
LBJ writes, says, write me the fucking report. The guy writes, uh, the IG guy who's supposed to be honest, Inspector General, writes the report, and it's the whole story, the whole bananas, everything. And he says in the report, there is no evidence of any president, that means Eisenhower or Kennedy, knowing, approving of any assassination attempt against Castro. Crucial mm. to understand that. Mm. So, and that's Robert Kennedy included. Because there's no evidence that we have found all the research community that says that Robert Kennedy knew anything, although the CIA, after the assassination, made a, a, a best effort to plant them as assassination people. In other words, this guy, Seymour Hirsch, wrote a book, and uh, the assist, uh, Halpern, who was one, the number one assistant to Helms, Halpern, was, a, help, was his main source and put out all these stories about Camelot really being planning the murder of Castro. That's why you hear this over and over again. Noam Chomsky, of all people, picked up on it and keeps repeating it. This is just not true. We can't find evidence of it. And the IG report points to it. Helms didn't want to give the report. He gave one copy he gave to LBJ. That's it. LBJ read it. It disappears into the files. And the Assassination Records Review Board gets the IG report finally open. What is it, 2000? What is it, 20 now, 21? You you realize that that report, and the historians keep, uh, the historians actually was available in the 1990s. I mean, I don't know if the historians have a responsibility to read these papers. They didn't. And they keep, some of these historians keep making the mistake of saying Kennedy was behind getting rid of Castro. Kennedy was in a tough position on Cuba. Yes, he had to move against Cuba. At the same time, he wanted to save his alliance for progress. Alliance for Progress was a huge social experiment he started in Latin America, very important, $10 billion. And they really, he didn't want to do military, he didn't want military, the military governments of South America to, to be putting the money into military stuff. So he put it into education, agriculture, everything he could. He made this tremendous effort. And it's, it's a wonderful story. Of course, Johnson closed it down and put back the money back into the military uh, regimes. Brazil followed the coup and Brazil followed. But uh, where was I? I'm just trying to say on Cuba, Kennedy had to give the notion that he was doing something the mm-hmm. whole time in these years, 62, 63. So he, he started Operation Mongoose. Now, Mongoose is very disputed. Mongoose was run by Joe, uh, Edward Lansdale, his operative, an operative who was in and out of Philippines. There's a whole story with Lansdale. But CIA never believed Operation Mongoose would work. They thought it was PR. Mm. Meanwhile, the CIA is doing its own thing with gangsters. People like uh, Johnny Roselli, people like uh, William Harvey. Can you explain Operation Mongoose? Mongoose was another operation to subvert the Cuban regime, uh, to blow up things, to but not kill Castro, to blow up things, to destabilize the regime, like Northwoods. All these plans are coming in from different departments to to derail the Cuban Revolution. Why? Cuban Revolution is can uh, is very influential all through Latin America. That's why Kennedy wanted his alliance for progress. So he wanted, and he made his uh, his thinking was that if I can get Castro to back off, any kind, don't fuck with my alliance for progress. We'll let you be. We're not going to come after you. You can have your regime, but we're going to prove to you that the alliance for progress can work. Do you think that Kennedy knew how the the structure of the the, the 
all the intelligence agencies and the deception and these uh, using agent provocateurs and establishing these false flag events. Do you think he was aware of this before he got into office? No. Or was this so? This is probably very no. shocking. He was shocked by the uh, Bay of Pigs. Shocked him and his brother. He was at this. He said they lied. They lied to me, and he thought he was in charge of the government. Because the narrative I've always heard about the Bay of Pigs is that he fucked them by not bringing in air support. That's of course. That's the right wing narrative. Yeah, it's that's a, all you ever hear. Yeah. yeah the, yes, in those terms, yes, he failed. The man got stranded on the beach, and he failed to send in air cover. Yes, because he said so. He wouldn't do that. And if they had done it, it would have looked like America's being the bully all over again. They're bombing the, the Cuba which was what was expected of America. Yeah. He, he didn't do it. He was announcing a new kind of America. Crucial to understand. And I think the Bay of Pigs is a fine moment for Kennedy. And he had to take the fall for it. But he was furious behind the scenes at, at, uh, at Dulles and his group the more he found out about it. And this is right after he's got into office as well. April. Yeah. yeah. So he's just... He's waking up. Yeah. He's waking up through 61. And that was a rough year. Did, do you think that he was aware that it was the CIA that was trying to assassinate him? Or was it unspecified forces? Unspecified. He knew... I, I don't think... He, First of all, he fired Dulles. That was a huge uh, bonanza. I think that was a great move. He fired Dulles. Bissell, Richard Bissell, who was a schemer, planner, and Cabell, he fired them. But he didn't clean house. Uh, Richard Helms steps in as the major domo there. McCone, he, he appoints McCone, John McCone, who's an establishment guy to run the CIA. His first choice is is, is uh, uh, too liberal, and they, they destroy that possibility. Adley Stevenson liked the guy in this and that. So uh, McCone goes in. Helms really runs the show. McCone is, is, a super, is a figurehead. He's sent overseas to visit the stations. Helms is the guy who runs the CIA. Now, what's fascinating... And, and uh, by the way, he's the guy we need files on, you know, yeah. a lot of files. That's what, he's another one of these operatives who knows a lot, who, who's never really pushed. He was, he was questioned finally by the church committee. Now, these documents that were recently resealed, what, what, they were supposed to be released and then the Biden administration decided to like, keep them under wraps till when? It's uh, some very long distance in the future now, right? Uh, which ones? No, I think they're finally coming around, but they have to clean the files. They, they, I think they were surprised by the amount of work we got, the amount of information we got out of the files. Not we, I mean the whole community of mm -hmm. researchers. Yes. These people are experts. They know the technical language. They go into these files like like uh, like ants. Yeah. <laughs> and, no. They, they, the 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 community of people that are obsessed with the JFK assassination is pretty thorough. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there are a lot of nutcases yes. too out there, but th those serious people are really good, and they're the ones that kept this case alive. Well, it's a thing that a conspiracy theorist really looks to. I don't use that word. I think truth seeker is much more. Okay. Well, forget about that that word. But someone who's interested in uncovering the truth about this assassination, the, the, the type of person that has that mindset that's interested in uncovering the truth about any yes, historical that's event, correct. this is one of the best ones. That's because it. there's what significant, a historian does. Yes, there's significant evidence, and there's significant evidence that there is a conspiracy. Significant evidence. Significance. I mean, I would say from the beginning there was, yes, well, you have a shot from the rear and a shot from the yes, front. Yes, well, I was going to get into that. So when you detail uh, so brilliantly in this documentary all of the people that were involved in manipulating evidence, whether it's uh, autopsy photos, whether it's 
the uh, the evidence about the actual shots, where they were fired from, the impact, like where the exit wounds was, all these various people that were involved. How many people knew what had actually happened? Because it seems like there was a a concentration of people that was not small. And one of the things that people who uh, like to uh, use the pejorative term uh, conspiracy theorists, they always want to point to people can't keep a secret. Uh, well, the fuck they can't. They it, had to. It's a giant maze. It's so confusing. Yes. That, that no one would be believed if they could. Right. They're one part... Think of it as departments of this. As, uh, departments of this. Somebody pops up and says, I know this. So he disappears in the maze. It's another right. piece of information. Yeah. There's been no attempt by government to follow up on this at all. They dismissed... They had the HSCA in 1978, right? That came about because of pressure. And a lot of that was classified still and disappeared for a while. We got it out, all that stuff. They, they decided that there was a probable conspiracy based on the acoustic evidence of the motorcycles. But we don't want to go into that because that's a whole other story. Acoustic evidence acoustic, from sound from, from, the, from rear, the recording? In the front, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. well... The shots, the shots. The, the physical evidence of the, the impact on the body is that's way more important. Yeah. Way more important and way more obvious. Yeah. That First of all, the establishment of the magic bullet was one of the most preposterous things that the United States public has ever accepted. And I think we did a great service by driving a stake through that heart of that vampire because it's been around forever. Well, you detailed in so many different ways, yeah. too. You detailed all the various ways that they had tried to establish it. Once they found the wound in the back, they tried to establish... Well, don't confuse it. First of all, the magic bullet, there's no chain of custody on it. The right. FBI lied, and we yes. proved it in the film. Yes, you did. Because th the times yeah. don't match right. and when it was given. So the FBI down and out lied. Mm -hmm. Now, Hoover, of course... Uh, Never believe, you know, believe one had to believe, wanted to believe that Oswald did it alone. He had to because they put themselves in a straitjacket. They said three shots. Mm -hmm. There were not three shots, it was probably four or five shots. Three shots, one assassin who, why? What's his motive? He was a perfectly reasonable young man. He, st he was in the corridor being yelled at, and he said, I need a lawyer. I'm right. a patsy. Yes, yes. You know, the guy didn't behave like he was proud of what he had done. No. Which is what he, they said. He was a communist, uh, an assassin. Who, they had this background of visiting Russia. Of course, we found out. They, we found out. The, the community found out that it wasn't everything what didn't meet the eye. It was a whole other story going on. What Oswald, about the Oswald had been an associated with the CIA? Yes. Been, not that he'd been an agent, but he'd been watched by the CIA for four years. That we know without a doubt now because of what we declassified. Angleton, James Angleton, the counterterrorist chief, had a had a file on Oswald since before Russia. They knew him. They knew what he was doing up until the week. Well, apparently, they, he dis they disappeared his flash warning about a week before the assassination, which means to say you don't need to check Oswald if you were a Secret Service. You, you see him somewhere on a, on a parade route. You'd have to clear out those type of people. They get the Secret Service is very aware of uh, mm. people who have backgrounds who could be right. dangerous. They took that off, the, the signal on Oswald. The other thing is that Oswald was working both sides, clearly, that he was working with the pro-Castro and the anti-Cuban well, movement But, they, but the, the CIA time. set up both. Yes, you see, exactly. The CIA set up the pro and the co. Right. So uh, it's, it's very clear that they were, they were well aware of him. Dip him in the Cuban poison. Mm -hmm. Sheep dip him. Make him look like a commie who loves Castro. That was the intention, I believe. I believe that the CIA was so upset about these two 
near invasions of Cuba, that they, this was a chance by killing Kennedy to get the United States to move against Castro. Mm. And this is what Johnson, this is where Johnson is not, you can't blame Johnson because he felt that there was his pressure right away. And he said to the Warren Commission guys, he said, look, there's a lot of pressure to point the finger at Russia and, China, and, uh, Russia and Cuba. We don't want to do that because we're going to have a nuclear war if we do that. Like 40 million people are going to be dying. That's what he told Warren. Warren was, went white, you know, in those days it was very serious. 40 million people, my God. He had all the weight of the country on his shoulders and that's why he accepted this lousy job as co- the chief commissioner. So Johnson used that story, but Johnson believed it. I think he believed it. I think he believed there was, pr- I think he believed in some way, I'm not sure. That he, let me put something, this is very important. Marvin Watson was his uh, aide to Johnson. In 19... Uh, 70, uh, in 19, uh, Church Committee, he testified, he testified that Johnson, after he read the IG report that we talked about earlier, which said that, uh, which said that uh, there were no assassination, uh, President Kennedy or, or Robert had never approved, authorized any presidential, any assassination attempt on Castro, right? He read that report and he told Watson, according to Watson, he said, I now believe it's, the CIA was probably involved in the assassination. That's what he said. Wow. In 67, when he read the report. Wow. It comes out in the, at the church committee, which is classified, disappears for some reason. We find it. We find it again in, in, because of this uh, ARRV. So he was probably left in the dark as well. It's, I, I do believe so. I think, I think he's definitely involved in the cover-up because he doesn't want that... St- he doesn't want to have a war. He, right. But he changes the whole policy of Kennedy right away. He, 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 we have that declassified call between him and Robert McNamara. What does Johnson say in that call? Do you remember? It's in the film. He says, I, you know, I, I was never in agreement with you and the president about withdrawing from Vietnam. Mm. I thought you were wrong. He says that proudly yeah. because he's going in. Right. Why he wants to go into Vietnam and not Cuba, you know, is is another issue. But uh, think about that. Just think about the implications of that. Johnson is moving towards war in Vietnam. Why was it so important for them to get into Vietnam? I. It's a good question. You know, it was a. Oh boy, this. We, in a way, we got linked in with the French because we supported the French war financially. We offered them. Apparently, we offered them nuclear weapons when they were losing at Dien Bien Phu, and. Uh, there was a whole connection going back through. Our interest in Vietnam was the domino theory that if they, if Vietnam fell, Thailand would be next, Singapore, Indonesia, Japan, all these fears, the hyperinflation, overinflation of threat, threat inflation, they call it. That was always the American way, threat inflation. Everywhere you look, all over the world, Ukraine, threat inflation, they build things up to this paranoid point like a bully who say there's another bully that's going to take over is worse than me. You, know? mm. you have to think about it as what we, how we think. And it, was a, it, it didn't work. The domino theory didn't work. Vietnam fell. Did, did Thailand? Did, uh, nothing moved right. in that area. The important thing to remember, I, I think we... Too much, too much to tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I, awesome. Don't worry about Kennedy it. Kennedy had a terrific relationship for the first time with Sukarno of Indonesia. Sukarno was an independence hero like Ho Chi Minh in Indonesia, which has gigantic resources, much bigger than Vietnam. That was the, that's the treasure chest in Southeast Asia. It was Indonesia. And actually, Rostow, I think, has said, I don't understand why we went into Vietnam when 
Indonesia was the big number. And we won Indonesia in 65 when the CIA pulled their coup off and they killed about a million communists. Uh, if you remember, we put uh, Suharto in, who was our guy. We got rid of Sukarno. He, he was moved aside and he ran Indonesia for the next 30, 40 years until he made a fortune, all his cronies. And uh, it was like Mobutu in the Congo. These are all our guys. Mm. We were very happy with Indonesia. That was our biggest coup. It was, we couldn't talk about it because it was covert. Right. We gave lists to the Indonesian military, lists of people of who were communists. We said were communists or known sympathizers, just like in Vietnam when we went after Operation Phoenix when we killed all those people. How much weight do you put into the speculation that something about Vietnam had to do with moving heroin? Do you no, think that was a side effect? It's a side effect. Do you think that it was also some sort of uh, a, a money project that was? No, 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 I don't think so. I think that's that's really conspiratorial thinking. You think so? I do, but it, there may be there that I don't know about. But we know that the CIA has done this, right? We know that they moved drugs through South Central Los Angeles to fund the Contras versus the the Sandinistas, right? I, I believe that. I believe well, the no, Gary, that's... I, I believe the Gary Webb accusations, although I'm not expert on it yeah well rick ross you know the yes. guy who actually did it and sold yeah. the drugs i've yeah. had him on a couple yeah. times and oh and we know from air america we know yes all these things happen from uh, laos mm -hmm. shipping stuff yeah i imagine uh but i don't know enough about it but that we know about the nguyen han bank now that was a whole story the bank that was used mm -hmm. yeah the cia is up to its neck in dirt yeah always has been it's crazy. And why we tolerate them. I, I mean, you know, I, I went up to speak at the Dele National De Congress uh, when a de election uh, de delegate uh, at, uh, during Jerry Brown was running for office. He asked me to talk. And I, I called at Madison Square Garden. I called for the abolition of the CIA. Oh, Jesus. And it was in the papers, and they said I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we have to start over. We, have to, we, we made a huge mistake in, in allowing that agency to exist because we gave them covert operational abilities. In other words, we cut them off from being... Uh, uh, what's the Allow word? them to be secretive. Allowed them to be secretive. Yeah. And... How would one do that and still, I mean, the, the, obviously the CIA has some positive function. How would one disband the CIA but still maintain this positive function, this in, the intelligence gathering aspect of it? How do we know? How it? do you know? I mean, we'd like to know. What is I'm positive just, about killing a million yeah. people in Indonesia? What is positive about their success, their so-called successes in Guatemala or Iran? I'm trying to be optimistic. They put us in a shithole. They put us in shit in Iran. If we had sorted out the Iran situation back in 1954 with the Mossadegh, we wouldn't be in this mess. We would have allies. There's no reason we can't be at peace with the whole world, Joe. Yeah. There's no reason. I, maybe I sound like a crazy optimist to you, but I've lived long enough to tell you that we, there's no need to make enemies. You can have friends if you, if you work at it. That means modify your behavior, talk, understand your enemy, your so-called enemy's points of view. It's the only way. The CIA, I would form another agency, call it intelligence agency or whatever you want, but no covert ability. And you got to take away the money. The money is what drives, they have secret money everywhere in the world. But ultimately, they always needed, they needed military hardware to, to achieve this. And that's what they got from the Pentagon. That's where my friend Fletcher Prouty, who gave me a lot of information on JFK, came in. He was a focus point officer providing hardware to the CIA for all these coups. They tried to do it in Tibet. 
They tried to do it in, you know, in Ukraine back then in the 40s. They tried to do it. There are several countries they tried and failed. I don't know if the CIA has ever had a real success that was positive for the world. But do you think that there's any function or any need to gather intelligence about foreign yeah. operatives and dangerous countries and regimes and yeah. well, terrorist cells? And don't you think that there is something yeah. yes. that they do? Yes, there are people who are dangerous. There are, but there, in the in the whole mill of mankind, how how many are there? You know, how often? Don't you think the terrorists who exist, don't, don't you think they have a gripe with us? I mean, don't you think there's reasons after what happened in the Middle East over all these years where we tried to control the situation? Isn't it a matter of control, America trying to tell other countries what to do? Isn't that the, the – if we let things go, just if we let things take a natural course, let's see where it goes. We wouldn't be threatened. Still, we have a plenty of defense. I think it's under the always under the auspices of protecting us, but of course keeping it is. the threat from ever reaching our shores. Of course, yeah, that's why I went to Vietnam because yes. it, it would come here, right? Vietnam right. is going to come to America. That's the cell. It, it's never true, never true. Think it through. And communism itself was it was it really ever a threat? Once it competes economically, as Kennedy said, it's going to have its problems. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. Socialism, to some degree, won't work either. I remain a capitalist. Maybe I'm the bad guy, but I really think my father was in the stock market. And I believe in an economic competition, but a healthy one, not a controlled or a manipulated one. Yeah, or a corrupt one. Um, when Kennedy was aware very quickly of the entanglements with the intelligence agencies and how much bullshit was going on when he was in office... When when did he start speaking about getting rid of the CIA, and how, how long was it in that he fired those uh, top three guys? His problem was he didn't clean house, you know. Right. He didn't clean house because everybody at the CIA was basically a Dulles fan. That most of those people were Dulles people that he left them behind. That's why we think Dulles was involved in the assassination because he had tremendous power still, influence. And this is the same he, Dulles that they named the airport after. Yes, it's kind of he, he, funny. Uh, I believe it's Alan Dulles, but if it's his brother, it's just as bad. John Foster Dulles was yeah. Secretary of State and did a lot of harm. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, CIA was a beehive of activity uh, in this Cuba situation. I mean, there was all these all these people had to be managed. There was five undercover officers. We'd like to have the files on them. People like uh, David David Atlee Phillips. Uh, uh, William Harvey, for Christ's sake, what a character he was. Uh, he, he ran an operation with Roselli. This is that parallel operation. This is what you have to understand. We have Mongoose, which is operational, not that long a time, nine months or something. It doesn't work. It's all PR bullshit, like the CIA says. They, uh, Lansdale lets, uh, leaves, and they let it go. It, Mongoose dies. Meanwhile, there's secret plots from the CIA, even Henry Luce, for Christ's sake, he was a publisher, Time Life, one of the most influential. He was always pressing Kennedy to go to war on Cuba. Even he said he was mounting an operation privately, privately capitalizing it to attack Cuba. In other words, private citizens were getting involved. But essentially, the CIA never let up. They were planning to assassinate him uh, on the day of Kennedy's death. There was a plot, uh, a ZR rifle, one of those plots, there's a lot of plots against Castro. Remember, I met him. I went down to see him. Mm -hmm. A very interesting man. I mean, he told me about some of these plots and how 
how crazy the Americans could get. To Do you speak to... Spanish? No. So you had to go through a translator? Yes. But uh, he was eloquent in both languages. He, yeah. he understood what I was saying in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have time to learn Spanish. I should have. Uh, it's, it's just such a, a whirlwind of a term. This, the, the years that Kennedy is alive while he's a president, before he's assassinated. The amount of events that were happening concurrently. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's pretty stunning. And so he Absolutely. makes this decision. How deep in that he, I mean, he was looking to do something to weaken the grip of the CIA, not just get rid of those three guys, but he also wanted to diminish the CIA's influence. Yeah, and but power. that wasn't his only thought. He had a hundred right. things to deal with. Right, that's around, the problem, right? The world. And he wasn't newly I, in office. Well, yeah, by sixty, he he said statements about the generals. He said, you know, they're not worth a bucket of piss or whatever it was. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're not. Uh, Generals think they know everything. They always want to go to war. They want to. They want the parades, but they don't want the. They, they don't want the casualties. They don't want the right. result. They, and that's true for the United States. We go to war with a lot of, a lot of hoopla, and we come out. And we leave our people. We leave our people who go over there, and in, in mostly in very difficult states. You know, either suicide or in veterans' hospitals with limbs blown off. It's not fun war, and we treat it like. I think the United States has never experienced a war. That's I think that's a problem on our shores. Yeah, yeah. And, I th- and when we do, we're shocked. Like, so we have a distorted the, the, perception the, of yes, what war is. I think the Russians are much more realistic because every Russian is rel- related to somebody who was killed in World War II. Right. They well, they, it's in their hearts. It's seared in. And uh, you know, I don't. I can't speak for the Chinese, but they lost like a couple of million men in Korea. You know, so they they must have been some a lot of family pain there. Have you ever tried to calculate how many people were involved in the cover-up of the assassination? Because, you know, when you break down all the, the various people that you document, um, everyone from Arlen Specter to the, everyone that's on the Warren Commission's report, this, it's very clear that those folks had to know that what they were doing was bullshit. From what you said about the FBI uh, chain of custody for the magic bullet to... The the uh, alteration of the autopsy photos and the difference between the, and the autopsy itself. Yes, the autopsy itself. The difference between the Dallas autopsy and the way they looked at it at Bethesda, Maryland. There was no autopsy in Dallas. It was just a, well, the they examination tried to save his life. of yeah. the. It was very body. quick. Uh, the tracheotomy. Yeah. yeah, the tracheotomy and also the description of the exit wound. Um, in, uh, in, in his um, head. Well, that yeah, that comes out later. Yeah. Although some people didn't see it, but forty people. What the ARB did, thank God, was collect all the people who saw mm-hmm. the rear exit wound, and it was huge. It was, we showed the film in the film. We showed the forty people who saw it. What's really crazy, you document in the film, was the fact that it wasn't really his brain. That the yeah, I was going to go the, to that. Yeah, please. The brain that they had used as a piece of evidence that this was Kennedy's brain had clearly been in formaldehyde for at least two weeks. Yeah, well, well, I'm so glad our documentary and this is James D. Eugenio who wrote it. You know, he's really the guy who reads everything, remembers everything through all these years, and there's a million documents. The, we, we drove a stake through the magic bullet. That, that's clear. There's no chain of custody. The FBI lied. They also, in the, in the matter of the autopsy, the, the brain is intact. There's a, and it was uh, photographed as such. It was a clean, the whole area was still there. Whereas it's impossible because the brain was seen, you see, fil- you see it spraying, yeah. spraying out in the car when, during the Zapruder film. 
you see it. The nurses, Audrey Bell, is talking about it's the the it's the, the I can't remember the medical term, the whatever it's called. It's spilling out on the floor of Parkland. Yeah. And when they weigh the brain, as they do in an autopsy, it comes out normal. Well, not just normal, but extra large, right? A little bit. Yeah. Larger than average. Like yeah. it was. Like... It's impossible. And what's more important is, and this drives a stake again through the heart of it, the, the photographer of the autopsy, John Stringer, the autopsy photographer, he's, he's a straight guy. He's, you know, pro-war commission, all that stuff. They, they bring him back. The ARB brings him back. And they... They show him the photos of that we now have of the uh, that are in the National Archives, and he says, "That's I never photographed that." Right. It was a ba- he took an up view of the brain. He never took a basilar view from below. Mm-hmm. So I never photographed that, and, and that's very important. There's also some evidence that they had drawn hair in to cover up the exit wound. Yes, yeah, that, I don't know about the evidence, but definitely the photograph shows yes. that the hair had been pulled in the shot is bizarre it's bizarre shots but so the autopsy is off the brain is off photos are off then you go you know the garrison trial revealed that the one of the autopsists peter fink saying that they was the, he they were not in charge of the autopsy the military was right he couldn't they wouldn't let him put his finger in the back hole right they, they told them what to do and they were very bullying in fact at there was, can you imagine having doing an autopsy on the president and having 20 or 30 people looking at you from a gallery? And they were telling him what he was able to do and not able to do. So the autopsy was being directed. Yeah, I showed that in the movie. Don't yeah. touch that. Right. Don't do that. Which is, you. so you have to think that... Plus, they have, they have the best autopsy people in the world, civilian, all around Washington. Why, didn't we, why, didn't, why wouldn't they call him in? No. Right. There was no desire. To. So they had a predetermined yeah. ending that they wanted to achieve. Or a result that they wanted to achieve. Three bullets, three bullets, one assassin. But this is what's crazy is like you've got to think, okay, when then you have at least those 30 people that are in the the audience watching that autopsy, I mean, what do they know? I don't know that. But isn't that crazy? If all 30 of them know that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. No, we don't know that. We don't know. Right. I mean, we don't know some of them. But there's, there's obviously a directive. Well, now, there again, now we don't know. I shouldn't say obviously directed, but they're they're doing something to influence the way this autopsy is being done. At least some of the people are yeah. giving direction, giving instruction, and you got to wonder why would they do that? Like, what motivation would they have unless they knew that there was a predetermined result that they need to achieve? Well, you have, of course, the Johnson fear that it would get it become a hysteria. Russia or Cuba being accused of killing him, and it would be a situation that they could no longer control. That's a legitimate excuse to cover up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one interesting story, it's in the four-hour version, not in this two-hour version. That's coming out in the end of February. In the, we show a moment in the uh, autopsy where one of the technicians, when the doctor looks up, he says, there's cigar smoke blurring this thing. He, it was just cigar smoke smells covers up the, the air and stuff. It looks, mm-hmm. you don't do, you don't smoke a cigar in an autopsy. In an autopsy, crazy. He says, who's, who's doing that? Find out, tell him to put it out. He goes over to the gallery and guess who's smoking the fucking cigar? Who? General Curtis LeMay, the the figure from Strange Love that Kubrick was satirizing. That's hilarious. And he says, can you put it out? You know, LeMay simply looks at him, blows smoke in his face. <sighs> and the guy wrote, he was a you know technician. He, he just wanted to, 
He's telling the truth. Walks back. Couldn't get him to put the cigar on. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Uh, LeMay also was not – that day, all his movements by, on, the, on the plane were not – did not correspond to what he was supposed to be. He was in Canada or something, and it's a crazy little story. But so LeMay was no friend of Kennedy because they had several battles. If you're in a position like LeMay, I mean, just imagine that that's this is his big moment of success. If he hated Kennedy, mm-hmm. and he's got his big moment of success, I mean, he probably felt completely untouchable. Can I mean, they imagine? had just assassinated the president. He's looking, there smoking look, a cigar, looking celebrating, down, looking down at your naked. Yeah, look at him. Looking down at your naked enemy in front of you. A naked enemy with a giant fucking hole in his head, and you're smoking a cigar. Like, what a creep. Yeah. Holy shit. Just the, the fact that people like that exist, and that is, that's the top of the food chain, right? I mean, if you're in that position, yeah. and you are a, a, a general, and you are at the autopsy smoking a cigar... Yeah. I mean, you want well, to talk that, about unchecked power. That's not evidence, but it's interesting. It's so, interesting, it, it, it's yes. It's interesting. It's definitely not evidence. And then, of course, we in the film we go into, this is very important, the Oswald alibi. It's probable that he was not on the sixth floor. Right. We know this because of the three secretaries, three yes. women who were at the fourth floor window, and they were looking at the parade. They saw him shot. They freaked out. Two of the women immediately ran down the stairs to see what was going on in the street. They went down the street. One of them stayed up on the third floor. That was the supervisor, Dorothy Garner. This we only know because of the Stroud document, which came out in the ARRB again years later. This was in 1997. Uh, Mary Jo Stroud was a DA in, in Dallas. She interviewed the, uh, and the Dorothy Garner, who told her the story, and she, 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 she verified it to the Warren Commission. They ignored it. Because they changed the story on the three women, the two women actually, because one, the first woman they said had taken longer to get down the stairs, which would have given Oswald time to get off the sixth floor down. I don't know how he would have done that because he had to stash the rifle. He yeah. had to do all this shit and there was all these boxes in the way and he had to go down these stairs at full speed and be on the second floor to be seen by the cop. And uh, there was no nine, evidence about the, on the rifle as, as, as far not at as... All, not at all. The rifle doesn't, doesn't have any chain of custody at all. Nor yeah. the bullets, for that matter. Right. Nor the bullets. And was there evidence? Oh, and fingerprints. Finger, finger, no, no. Was there something that they were trying to attribute to Oswald yeah, that was connected fingerprints, to it? But that didn't work because it was a partial. And the guy who really knew fingerprints said it, didn't, it wasn't true. Really? Yeah. No, nothing. Not, not one nothing piece connected. of evidence that day. So there was, an, uh, there was an entry wound in his back. Yes. So is there any speculation as to where that was fired from? Yeah, I would say the rear. But right, obviously. But like, where? <laughs> well, it could have been Daltex. I don't know. If, but was there any I question eyewitness what? testimony of hearing gunshots from the rear? Yeah, there was. Not well. They heard shots. Right. Was, they heard. It was hard yeah. because it's echoing too. There's right? a lot of World War II vets in that crowd. You know, like Kenny McDonald was in the car right behind Kennedy. He'd experienced infantry warfare. He said there was a volley. Mm. It's all you know, a volley. How shot. many shots did he describe? I don't remember if he's saying, but I, I think you have to say four or five, maybe six, but right. we don't know. So they're coming from, a, it's, there's a crossfire. We'll never quite know because right. uh, we have the guy on the on the curb, uh, James, what, who gets bit in the cheek by a, a fragment. Mm-hmm. There's a Harper fragment, which is found in the street the next day. The Harper fragment's the right size. Oh, it's a different fragment. Harper fragment, is the, because he, the guy found it was a kid, mm-hmm. Harper. 
fits right into the area that they think was blown out on the on their ear skull. Mm. Was, and they had that, and it disappears. The Harper fragment. Uh, the, uh, the. Have you? Ever, I'm sure you've read uh, "Best Evidence" by James Lifton. Yeah, you, know, you mean about lifting the uh, the body? Being Is David Lifton. David. David Lifton. Lifton yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. D. Eugenio doesn't believe it, but I'm not, I'm not going to get into that because it's a whole other theory that he was – they worked on his body yeah. before uh, it was autopsied. I don't think so. I th- I'm not sure because they would have fixed the brain at that point. I, I, I don't know enough about Lifton's right. theory, but I, I trust uh, D. Eugenio. Well, Lifton's theory is not just that. Lifton was a, an accountant, and he was uh, hired to go over the Warren Commission report. And in his meticulous reading yeah. of the Warren Commission report, he found massive inconsistencies. And he started to think that there was some sort of a cover-up and that, uh, that Kennedy probably was uh, assassinated by someone other than just Lee Harvey Oswald. And it's just it's a, it's a stunning book. But my point being, um, another thing that's very disturbing is how many eyewitnesses wound up dying of mysterious yeah. causes yeah quite a few quite a few Do they th- cleaned up the all of the the, the possible loose ends <sighs> not all not all but a shitload of strange stuff happened yeah absolutely it was scary for for the witnesses yes garrison ran into that problem you know his witnesses kept vanishing on him yeah including david ferry who died during the process as well and for that matter guy bannister who was yeah. the kingpin of the right wing uh, group that was managing Oswald in uh, in New Orleans. So they, if Lee Harvey Oswald was not on the sixth floor of the book depository, that's what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, somebody had to have taken a shot from somewhere, at least that's one right. shot that hit the back. Could have been the dial text. Mm-hmm. I'm doubtful now, and I, as you know, in my film in '91, I showed, I dramatized it perhaps too much. I think having a team of shooters up there because I don't know how they got out. Right. I just don't understand it. With these, the testimony of these three women being revealed in the 90s. I'm talking about uh, Vicky Stiles, uh, mm-hmm. Sandra, uh, Sandra, whatever, and Dorothy Garner. These are secretaries. They pay attention to details. They know when they left that window. Mm-hmm. They got downstairs in less than a minute. The Warren Commission changed it to more than a minute. <sighs> and they didn't even interview the other woman who ran down the stairs. They just didn't want to. They didn't right. want to hear stuff. Because it was inconsistent. So they discredited the single witnesses they were able to discredit, but they're not able to discredit three witnesses, including a supervisor, Dorothy Garner, who saw these women run down the stairs right away. Wasn't Woody Harrelson's dad supposedly? I don't know about that. Yeah, I, keep that... Getting, I keep getting asked that question. Well, the, let me explain what it, the, the rumor was that Woody Harrelson's dad was a part of the assassination crew that was at, on the grassy knoll. I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I don't know. You don't yeah. know? Yeah. There was somebody on the grass, you know, for That's sure. That's water. Do you That's, want coffee or water? I want water. Okay. I got to pee again. Again? Okay. Hey, listen. Don't worry about I'm it. I'm an older I, man. I understand. Wait till you get to my age. Okay, I'll wait. Are we missing anything that Oh, you, many things. Many uh, things. <laughs> I'm just trying to make judicious. Okay. The, very important, these three women, the Stroud document, very important. They ignored it. Right. This is a, a dis, the district attorney in Dallas. I mean, these are the secretaries that takes her statement. Right. That they because ignore. of their testimony, yeah. it's pretty clear that Oswald was not on the sixth floor of the depository. Absolutely, because there's only one exit the stairs. What about the officer? This is in '63, by the way. Right. What about the officer that '64? Uh, excuse me. That Lee Harvey Oswald was accused of shooting. Oh, Tippett. I, yes. That's a strange story, too, because physically it doesn't work, the geography. The distance traveled, the shots, 
No one saw it. I mean, the bullets. It's again, why do you think they a, attributed a, that? To- oh, that's that's a, that's the red herring. You know, you go down that path, you end up speculating. Right. Tip it. No, I I don't go there because I I feel like he went right. I think he went as Roger Craig said. The, the policeman he got in a Rambler or whatever it was a Rambler. He mm-hmm. got picked up by two Cub- Cuban-looking guys and driven away. So he was at the scene. But where was he? If second we, floor. He was on the second floor. Because he was spotted there by Marion Baker within 90 seconds of the assassination. And truly, Roy Truly, the supervisor. Well, if he so we know him, he was on the second floor, which makes sense because he was having lunch. Right. But if he was spotted there within 90 seconds, 90 seconds is an easy way to get down four flights of stairs. Six. Six, six flights. Stash the sixth arri- floor. Sta- six yeah, floor to the stash, second floor. Stash a rifle. Right, but the yeah, sixth okay, floor to the second floor. That's five flights. Six to five, five to four, four to three, three to two. Okay. That's fine. Anyway, <laughs> if you're right, four stars. Anyway, the, the women were, did not see him. Okay, you got to stash the rifle, right? The bullets he leaves in this bizarre pattern right there, puts the rifle yes. away. Fingerprints apparently are all over it, but he doesn't care. He runs down the stairs, and there's boxes in the way. He has to move past them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, get down there. And be out of and not, and not out of breath, quite normal, uh, without very calm. When uh, truly sees on the second it. floor, and this and this is all just but eyewitness if, testimony. And you think which that is a little screwy. Yeah, you think that happened before the women got there? No, no, I don't think that. How long did it take the women to run from the window on the fourth floor to the to the stairs? It's it's a quick run. So they saw him in the second floor when he realizes that the, the president's been shot, and he realizes that shots ring out. That's when he flees the scene. Well, he, I don't know if he heard the shots, but certainly he... Well, he had to hear the shots, right? If he's on the second floor... Yeah, but he's inside, so we don't know. Okay. Well, as you know, from my film, he walks out, mm-hmm. calm as a cucumber, says right. goodbye. Yeah. And, and then, of course, he disappears into this, I believe, this rambler. Do you think that which, he... Which takes him to his boarding house where he gets a, a pistol. Right. Because he knows something's up, and he knows... I, think, I believe he had a rendezvous at the theater with... He needed help. He knew he was. He had handlers, people who he might have been able to wanted to see. So he, he made that phone call to what was it South Carolina? Mm-hmm. Couldn't get the guy he was trying to get on. So up. he had some kind of connection mm-hmm. to it. Do you think he was involved in the assassination? Like he knew it was going no, down? No, you don't. I don't think so because his wife, who I interviewed, just tell me he he had good feelings about Kennedy. If anything, he would have if he'd heard this was a foot. He wanted to help. Mm. Wanted to, and there is that mention in the uh, Chicago story that an informant called Lee called the uh, the FBI to tell them that uh, there was this this thing was afoot in right. Chicago. We don't know if it's the same Lee. It so, seems to me he cared about the president. And obviously, if he had gone on trial and he had told his side of the story, it would have thrown a gigantic monkey wrench into the gears. <laughs> oh, forget it. Forget it. Yeah. So they have him killed. But the way they have him killed is so strange. They have this you know, mob-connected guy, Jack Ruby, run up to him while he's being you know, detained by the police and they're holding onto his arms, just steps to him and shoots him. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, it was a last chance, you see. Uh, because he was going to uh, another security place. It wouldn't have been possible to get him. But just crazy that they get Jack Ruby to do it. Like, why Jack Ruby? He was expendable. They used the mob when they needed to for low-level stuff. It's a a low-level hit in the sense that, you know, the the 38, it was at a 38 Mm -hmm. he used. Boy, he blew out his insides. It was very painful for Oswald those last uh, 
few minutes before yeah. he died. He was, it was a gut shot, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, no, I think the Ruby was an interesting case. Of course, he goes on to change his story. He says, I know everything. I know a lot. Yeah. And then he gets cancer. Now, cancer is an interesting thing, too, because how do you develop cancer so quickly and die? There is ways to do that. that was, they were experimenting on killing Castro that way. Mm. Oxner, Alton Oxner was the leader of the experiment in New Orleans, actually, and Oswald crossed paths with Oxner. So they were working on toxins that could kill people as quickly as possible. They tried it with, with Lumumba. They were going to try it with Castro. Are you aware of the connection between Jack Ruby and Jolly West and Jolly West with the CIA and Operation MK Ultra and the, all the LSD experiments that they were involved with? I don't know the details. Well, there's a story, there's a great book called Chaos by a guy named Tom O'Neill who spent 20 years detailing the Manson murders and, and going... Yeah. Yeah, he, he got obsessed with it and found out that there's a deep connection between the CIA and these LSD experiments that they were they were doing. They had done them to Manson while he was in prison and that they had uh, they had supplied him with acid and also given him techniques as far as mind control techniques, sophisticated programming techniques and how to program the family and they know that Jolly West visited Jack Ruby in jail. And after he visited Jack Ruby in jail, immediately afterwards, Jack Ruby's in the fetal position, having horrible visions of Jews burning alive and all kinds of horrific uh, assassination visions and, and ranting and screaming like a madman. And yeah. it's, it's detailed in chaos. And yeah. they're making this sort of connection between what we know Jolly West was involved with, which was unquestionably they were doing Operation Midnight Climax, where they were giving um, unsuspecting Johns in brothels, they were giving them LSD, yeah. and they were involved was, with the Manson family, and yeah. that they, the, the, this guy went to visit Jack Ruby in jail, I and see. then immediately afterwards, Jack Ruby's like a raving maniac. I don't know that. I have to check that out. You should oh. check it out. It's pretty interesting. But I do know that Ruby did testify to the, the, War the Warren Commission people came there, and he talked to them, and it's a scene in my film. He said, I can tell you a lot if you bring me to Washington, mm, where I, can, yeah. I am assured of safe conduct. Right. Safe. Safe he was passage. scared shitless. And, yes. And they wouldn't do that. I can't believe it. Well, why not? I wonder why. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, because who knows? They, these things are so bureaucratic, the way they're done. The way they handled Lee Harvey Oswald during those all those hours, that testimony is priceless. What did he say? We have yeah. no clue. Really, no clue. And except for what he said in the corridor. And there's no, there's no transcript of the interview. No transcript. They didn't keep the transcript. Which is crazy. <laughs> they didn't even fucking How do you tape do it. that? They didn't tape it. How do you do that when you have a guy who okay. supposedly just shot the president and you don't I, record it? It was that? so, the whole thing is so amateur. How can these people defend the Warren Commission? It was such a joke. Yeah. They, not the basic first step of any homicide investigation was followed. Now, the cops on the scene, they did try. They did label things. They did. They there was. They tried to establish chain of custody right away, mm -hmm. but it broke down as it was going through the stages because you know FBI gives this to the Secret Service. Secret Service gives that, and that's that. That's what we found out when we followed this chain of custody. That doesn't follow nothing. Nothing makes sense, and what makes even less sense is people that want to pretend that it makes sense. That's right. That bothers me no, no end because they and they dismiss our arguments. Yes, they they ridicule me as a messenger of who's loony. 
yeah. a loony leftist bullshit. Right. And they keep saying it, and they don't even look at the new evidence that we've presented. We've worked very hard to, to gather all this evidence in this new documentary, and I haven't seen one critique of actually what we said in the film. No, it's un when you watch Revisited, it's undeniable. I mean, the fuckery is well laid out. There's no question whatsoever that there has to be deception involved in this. Deception. From the coordinated effort to describe this magic bullet theory. I've I've seen people try to uh, yeah. try to justify the magic bullet yeah. theory, which anybody who's ever shot anything with a with a rifle. Yeah, don't even go there. It's yeah. silly. It's silly. You get it's, involved in nuclear physics is ridiculous and it's it's just common sense. Yeah. Uh, and people knew it, I think, at the time. They knew something was up. Most of the people ran towards the, the uh, grassy knoll, and they didn't run to the sixth floor. Most of them you know, heard their shots from the... And don't they... Didn't they... They was The magic bullet was not the only bullet that they no. retrieved from the scene. Well, that's a... No, now here we go into a whole... Don't go there either, because there's strange bullets show up. There's another bullet that shows up. We showed... We discussed that in the film. It's yeah. A, it's another bullet. Right. And uh, there was one found on that stretcher. That's mm -hmm. the magic bullet. Right. And then there's another bullet that disap that disappears. There is another bullet. Look at the documentary again. Yeah. And there is a chain of custody on it through, I think, three people. And then it disappears at the Secret Service, I believe. Or somewhere it disappears. The so bullet? We don't know what's in him. We know about the guy at the sidewalk, Tag, who gets a, a fragment. Yes. Did they, did they recover that bullet? No, the no. Frag they got the but the fragment was it, it, it hits the curb. That's what they said. And then something, either yeah. it's a piece of the curb or a piece of the bullet yeah. hits him in the face. He gets hospitalized, and that's the reason why they have to account for another bullet because this bullet clearly missed. Yeah, but the, the other bullets disappear. I mean, where's the Connolly bullet? That's the magic bullet they say. Right, that's uh, what they say. But Connolly was probably was hit separately from Kennedy in the back. Not only that, isn't there fragments of bullets inside yes, Connolly's body uh, that we, are not missing from the bullet? We called for the DNA test on him, but he wouldn't. They wouldn't allow it. Nellie, when he died, Nellie Connolly would not allow us to to, to request a DNA tr trace on his wrists. What would that have done? He might have shown a trace of uh, which bullet? The bullet. Right. You so know, I'm not an expert the, on the that. metal fragments. But yeah. isn't aren't there images of metal fragments that are available from the autopsy photos? Isn't there an X, or not autopsy, excuse me, the x-ray photos? Wasn't there- Joe, you tell me. <laughs> That's, okay. Those are details I cannot answer. Yet. Okay. But as to the bullets, it's a very good question. Where's the tracheotomy bullet? Where'd that go? Right. Where'd that go? If that was, it should have gone out the back, right? Right, and there is no exit wound out no. the back of his neck. So whatever that entry wound was, it was probably stopped by the spine. Yeah. And then- Maybe. Maybe something. I mean, it makes sense. The, the the fact that that bullet was so pristine and that that was sold by people who are soldiers, you know, which bullet the the magic bullet. Oh yeah, You're, I thought you meant the tracheotomy. No, bullet. No, 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 no. Okay, the the magic bullet was so pristine. Yeah, like the idea that this had gone through two people and shattered all these bones and then it came out looking like that. Well, it's we know that it's not. It doesn't fit the chain of custody. No, it was, they lied about it. Well, that's clear. It's clear that it doesn't fit the chain of custody. It's also clear that it doesn't match the characteristics no. of bullets that have shattered <laughs> of bone. Not. But then it's also clear that if those two things are true, 
that there's some manipulation. There's something going on. The chain of custody is completely off. The yes. magic bullet showing up on the gurney is ridiculous. Yes. There's so many things about it that are preposterous. Yes. But yet there's people that are going, oh, no, no, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I mean, that to me is one of the more fascinating aspects of the Kennedy assassination is the willingness that so many folks have to believe the official narrative, despite the fact that it fucking stinks. It stinks at every single step of the way. The media stinks. Since that moment, you, I mean, can you really believe our American media would yeah. just walk away from this? It's like their laziness or they're just ashamed that they didn't do their job on that day. They just went along because they were scared. Now, maybe Johnson fed him the same story that, listen, he called the New York Times. He says, we got Cuba. We're going to have a war here if we don't get, shut this down. We got to. Oswald did it, did it alone. Maybe that was enough justification for them. Oh, president says we're going to war. You right, know? maybe. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But, you know, in the years since then, why haven't they been, why haven't they been responsive? They've ridiculed everything we've done, everything the assassination community has proven. Isn't that a, just a human nature characteristic, though? You're always going to have contrarians, and you're always going to have people that want the official narrative to be true. They'll defend it yes. and do mental gymnastics more, in order to make there it There were a lot of Germans who fit. believed in Hitler. It's true. You know, it's yeah. easy to go. When you have to believe the, the majority, it's easy to believe the majority. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring just mention two books that are really crucial to understanding the foreign policy of Kennedy. First of all, there's been a whole slew of them from... Historians like Richard Mahoney, Ordeal in Africa. Uh, uh, David Talbot wrote a beautiful book, two beautiful books. One is called Brothers. It's not the one that, there's another Brothers, but Brothers, it's about Robert and Jack. And it's a very detailed story of, of what happened in these last two, three years. And then there's uh, Douglas's book, James Douglas's book, JFK and the Unspeakable. Those three are just crucially necessary to understand Kennedy's policies. Do you anticipate more documents coming out where more of this is going to be clear, where we're going to get a better understanding of... You're a good question. I, my, this is all personal. I don't know. If, if they see the experience, if they understand the expertise that the assassination community has brought to these documents, if I had done something illegal, I would feel like I have to be really careful. These people are not stupid. Right. They, they're not, we're not back in 1963 now. Right. These people are really checking us out. And we have a lot of information. It's in the documentary, and you see it. So what are you going to do? You have to really go back over any files if you're seriously thinking of brushing them and think about what can come out. Right. I'm curious, but I doubt that there'll be something that we can use. However, I've been wrong. I mean, before, you don't know what these people are very smart. And they go through stuff. You can't believe the detail. It's just stunning that there's this concerted effort to try to... They won't even cover all this. They won't even... Yeah. Listen, we couldn't get financed in this country. We had to get financed from England. It was an, an independent company. Really? We couldn't get distribution. We went to Cannes. We had tremendous reception at Cannes, at Rome Festival, and at Deauville. We sold uh, European countries, but nothing from the U.S. It was only at the last second here when Showtime came in. Thank God for them. But no company would touch it. Well, kudos to Showtime because it, it really is extraordinary. But what, what? And the reviews, we don't see reviews. Of course. Except for a few nasty uh, attacks in Rolling Stone and this and that. Rolling Stone attacked it? Yes. Oh, how cute. <laughs> well, uh, they're no longer. That's, lo that's they're, how you know you're doing well. They're no longer. Uh, 
serious. No, it's no longer Rolling Stone. It was right? a CIA guy who a CIA guy who covers the CIA who, who reviewed it, and he didn't review any of the things we were talking about. He reviewed me. Really? He, yeah. What was the Rolling Stones? What was the gist of their article? That I had fallen for Russian disinformation. Going, That's uh, a great narrative <laughs> these days. What a good one. Yeah, though they tying me to the Russian uh, because I defended Russia. And I never believed in the Russiagate stuff. I never believed it. Well, it turns out you were right. Yeah, look I at that. I know, but boy, you know, we fucking swallowed that so, for so three they, or four years. They, they exactly. We wasted so much time, but they tied me to uh, this QAnon. Now they said that I'm in, what? I'm the guy who, the conspiracy guy, who put out, who inspired these people from, from QAnon who love. What the fuck happened to Rolling Stone? Rolling Stone, when Hunter Thompson was writing for them, Rolling Stone was the shit. It was amazing. It was yeah. a fantastic magazine. Yeah, like new owners. New but owners. it's stunning how bad it's gotten. You know, Rolling Stone also had that article about uh, the uh, in Oklahoma how there's people that were waiting in line with gunshot wounds and they couldn't get into the emergency room because so many people had overdosed on ivermectin. They were overdosed on horse dewormer. It's a hundred percent fiction story. It doesn't yeah. doesn't even make sense. And the photo they used yeah. was a stock photo from the winter with a bunch of people that were waiting in line to get vaccinated. I mean, yeah. It's a complete fabricated story. And this is Rolling Stone, which yeah. to me is so disappointing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, and also uh, Washington Post has been attacking the with editorials, but they don't, again, deal with anything we, we, right. we bring up in the documentary. Right. It's not substantial. It's not, you can't refute the the way you detail oh, it is so brilliant. You, this guy in Rolling, uh, the guy in Washington Post says, Stone ignores Kennedy's uh, inclinations towards war. And he says, he his speech at the uh, Fort Worth that, the day he died. Well, we looked at the speech. The speech is very interesting. First of all, he got a, he's got to get elected in '64. That's the reason he went to Texas. Right. Johnson didn't really want him to go because he was worried. Actually, mm. that's the truth. But T Kennedy wanted to go, and he needed the South because the South had turned against him. George Wallace in Alabama, and uh, Mississippi. He had sent troops to Mississippi. He was hardcore about getting these students into those colleges, and he won both cases, Mississippi and Alabama. And as a result, he lost the South. He mm. knew it. So he needed the votes in Texas. That so was, he had to change his narrative. He had to change well, the way he, he, he didn't was. Change. No, he actually gave a lot of peaceful statements, but there was four contractors, major arms contractors there in Fort Worth, General Dynamics among them, and he had to appeal to them, but he didn't call for war. But anything. he was trying he just, to get their support. Yes. So, I mean, they'll use anything, any scrap of little evidence to... To, to, to point out, including this Russian disinformation thing. You see, they attack the messenger. They don't attack the Well, they, the problem with attacking the messenger is there's no holes. Like when you, <laughs> when you lay out the chain of command with the chain of custody, rather, with the bullet, yeah. when you lay out the whole magic bullet theory, when you show all the various pieces that are in motion, like the way it was... The way the whole thing was laid out, it's, it's, it's the most obvious conspiracy ever. Yeah. It really is. No, There's so much information. It's, these are smart people, but they're really turning the blind eye. Purposefully. And it's I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that there's a direction that they're being either being told to go in or they think is beneficial well, that for them to go in. that raises a very important question, you know, as to right. what degree of penetration the U government has had in the media. Right. And it was raised in the 70s, uh, as you know, heavily, because we found that there was a lot of CIA assets in the media. Yeah. They existed. 
and it goes back to the 50s. Again, the United States changed after World War II. You have to, uh, Kennedy was almost like a throwback, trying to say, let's go back to the vision of F- Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This man wanted world peace. I want world peace, and we can have it. And the problem was that the security state had established itself. And here was a state that was saying, we need to be emergency preparation at all times. We have to spend like a war economy. Keep the so there would be no more depression. That was the idea. Yeah, and they had a lot of defenders there. They had uh, the famous uh, Paul Nitze, who was telling me the story because I interviewed him for Nixon. He interviewed me, told me the story of how they got this thing going, this whole lobby going to keep the to keep the money rolling, big time money. Wall Street people were going to Forrestal, James Forrestal. All these people were there at the beginning. Keep the money rolling. Right. That was the key. So this is an interregnum that existed from 1945, or you can say 47, to 1963. It's an interregnum. And Kennedy was about to end that interregnum. Why not? Why can't we go back to being the United States of America? Right. Back to where we were in the 30s, he remembers. Is there a path to get back to that now? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Because nothing is – think about all the presidents. Right. Who has done anything right. to really challenge these motherfuckers? <laughs> right. What could be done at this point? I mean, could a – when we were talking about Kennedy getting into office and so many issues that he has to deal with and yeah. just playing catch-up and he's yeah. essentially new on the job. Yeah. That's what someone would have to deal with while stepping into office, <sighs> while trying to sort of remap this influence – that the military-industrial complex has over the society. And you also have to deal with the media. The media, yes. would, would they allow it? You know, this media of ours is a joke now. They're, they're in cahoots. I was watching TV last night in my hotel room here in, where, where, where am I, in uh, Austin. Austin, Texas. You know, you have Fox News and you have CNN. They're both nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they give yeah. you the news before it even happens. Right. Uh, uh, Biden is going to do, is, is soft on Russia or soft on uh, Iran, blah, blah, blah. And they make it the news. We don't know what they're really saying. You can't say anything. Right. You can't have it. You can't even have a phone call with the president of any country without it being reported, misreported often. Right. This is a crazy time where the media is making up sensationalism to keep it going, to keep the cycle going. Right. Because that's their business now. Their business they model. They don't take it seriously. No. Well, it just seems like they don't think that that's imperative. That the clickbait aspect of keeping their business yes. alive is more. That's the front line. That's that's what they that's what they're really doing. I admire politicians, and you may not believe it, but I, good ones are crucial to our survival. Right. And when they talk, they have to have secrecy. They have to have diplomacy. Yeah. They have to have a sense that I can trust you. But I, I don't want you to walk out of this meeting and now all of a sudden the media breaks with another story. Right. That's always the fear. Right. Same thing was true in the film business. I found to the same degree, uh, the media had some aspect controlled what we had to do. Right. You know, we didn't want breaks, you know, leaks to happen, but it happens now all the time. So would maybe the rise of some independent journalists, and we're yes. seeing that now yes. with yes. Substack and yes. a lot of these online journalists, these YouTube journalists and people that are doing really good work and really honest, objective work, but they're doing it outside of these in, enormous corporations. I was invo- I was interviewed by Matt Tybee on this one with his partner. I was invo- invited. Matt Tybee's fantastic. Bre- breaking Promises or Breaking... Breaking Points, b- breaking Crystal points. and Saga. Both yes. very good. Amazing. They were amazing. Uh, 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 Gray Zone, she's great. Anya and uh, the son of uh, Bloomberg. Uh, I forget his first name. Max, I'm not aware Max of Bloomberg. them. Oh, Max Bloomberg. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, you have to find those sh- those people are honest. And I th- yes. YouTube, many, I think the young people, the internet has given us that ability of freedom. 
we have to keep it now. It's also made it very attractive to be honest and to be as objective as possible because it's such it's so unusual in the world of mainstream media it, it literally is non-existent it doesn't exist everything is biased everything has a, yes. a, there's a narrative they're pushing from every single network that's corporate controlled yes, absolutely. and because of that it's incredibly unattractive to people that are paying attention so they look at the 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 trust in mainstream media is at an all-time low but the good thing about that is it gives rise to these people like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, yeah. like Matt Taibbi, like these people that can just say what the actual facts of the story are. Yeah, I like Glenn. I saw him in Rio. I was in Rio de Janeiro with Lula, and he has really broke that story in Brazil. Yes. He saved Lula's, you know, that was, he saved his noodle. That was a great, great revelation. He exposed the, what his enemies were doing, and he... Lula got sprung from jail. Yeah, it's to, extraordinary. And he's going to run for president. That was a tremendous public service. But he's also very open to the Kennedy killing. He's, he's yes. not. And I saw him uh, recently. He, he goes on Tucker Carlson, who's apparently the declared enemy of the establishment. That's you know, a giant problem that they have. in not allowing people to go on someone's show because you think that someone represents something evil. Here's the, what you have to look at. This is what I'd say to my fellow left-wing people. Tucker Carlson's one of the rare people that lets these guys on and lets them talk about whatever the issue is. Yeah. Whether it's guys like Brett Weinstein or who, whoever it is that he's having on. These people, they demonize the folks that are guests on his show because they're willing to talk to him. And they'll say all these things about Tucker Carlson, that he's a, a white supremacist and a racist and a separatist. and all But you're, you're just trying to dismiss this opportunity these people have to reach millions and millions of people in a format that's rare in that he lets these people talk, where you can't get that format on CNN or MSNBC or any of these other places, where you can't talk about controversial stories that are outside of what's this pushed narrative. Yeah. And he allows that. And they're trying so hard to minimize his impact. Yeah. And minimize the impact of any guest that's willing to participate in this platform. Yeah, they uh, completely dismiss whatever the story is, the context of the story, what's important about what they're trying to relay, about the information they're trying to give out, and all they want to say is, "Why are you on Tucker Carlson's show?" Well, that's why you play a huge role here, Joe. Well, it's bizarre. <laughs> you have to keep going. Oh, okay. You have an obligation now. Oh boy, you've, you've entered the mainstream in your own way. You have to. You in have to keep working now. That, well, that sucks. And on that note, I have to leave you because I got a plane. I have to catch you. Oliver, I appreciate you very, very much. I've been a gigantic fan. It's always an honor to have you on. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your films. I'm a Thank huge you. fan of your work. And I'm a, fan, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of this fantastic documentary that you have. It's available right now. JFK Revisited. It is on Showtime. And then again, as you said, in February. Late February. Late February. The four-hour version will be released, which you sent me as well. Thank you very much the, for that. And the two-hour will be more available, too. And the four-hour will be on iTunes. No, four hours will be wherever around. Okay. Two hour will be, I hope, on the ma all major channels. You'll, okay. you'll be able to have access. It'll to be, it. and, and it's available now on Showtime. And it's I? also, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want some? I, I don't want to smoke this, this up, Curtis no? LeMay cigar. Well, <laughs> those are those are JRE cigars, actually. Do you smoke cigars? No. Oh, well, there you I go. used to. Just pull that sucker down. There you go. I was. I want to tell my kids I smoked weed with Oliver Stone. Oh man, I smoked a lot in my time. I bet you have, fella. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, 
I got fucked up on cannabis the other day. Boy, I, edibles, you know. I, oh, yeah. I, got, I stopped smoking in order to do edibles, but I took too much, and it really knocked the shit out of me. I was... It was on Christmas Day or something. I was just well, a guy who's done it as many times as you who still gets fucked up. That gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, there are some brands that are pretty tough. Oh my goodness, yes, yeah. dude. Edibles don't play around with you. Well, you know the whole story of edibles. Like when you're eating it, it's a completely different psychoactive drug. Yeah, you get hungry. <laughs> well, it's it's um, eleven hydroxy metabolite. That's what's produced by the liver when do you, you do uh, shows on this stuff. Right? How do I? Yeah, I'm sure you do. Oh yeah, all the time. I like cookies, but, you know, <laughs> they're not the Oreos for my youth. Well, I think it hits different people different ways. And for me, it's very beneficial. I find it, um, it lets me relax Don't my, bogey that. My, my primate I'm, I'm mind. I'm the guest. Bogey. <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll give you some on the way out. I have some freshies for you. Thank you. My pleasure. It's an honor. Really is an honor. I, I I appreciate you very much, and I'm very very glad you're out there because I don't think there's a lot of people that would be willing to put the amount of time and effort and focus into a documentary. Well, this is crucial. Yeah, this is history. This is history. One day, 200 years from now, somebody will see it. And they'll wake up. This is why we fell apart as a country. I agree. As an I empire. Agree. This I, is why. I agree. Watch it, folks. Go watch it. Who's it's fantastic. That? That's uh, Travis Walton. Oh. He's a guy that was abducted by UFOs, apparently, allegedly. I see. He gave me the bobblehead. I'm glad you moved to Austin. It's fun. I'm glad I moved, too. I love it here. Oliver, thank you very much. Thank you, Bye, everybody. Bye.